Hello, everyone. My name is Rafael Garcia. It is June 29th, 2017, and this is another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It's actually episode number 47. I did some counting yesterday and figured out what episode number we're on. So we are now on episode 47, and we have quite a bit to talk about tonight. And... I am waiting on my attacking partner as usual. Uh, Shawan, he's going to join us. We, he and I are trying to make sure everyone is connected okay. But with that, that in mind, I want to go ahead and get the show started because we have quite a bit to talk about in the world of mixed martial arts this afternoon. Well, evening, I guess it's 9 p.m. where I am. We have quite a bit to talk about. We have news from... Um, last weekend's, this past weekend's uh, events where we saw a lot of action go on in both Bellator and UFC. And we also have some news to talk about that has broken this past week. Quite a bit of fight announcements that are pretty interesting, especially with the um, announcement that Tyron Woodley is fighting Damian Maya. UFC 214 looks pretty pretty, pretty stacked. And we got some other other bits and pieces to talk about. (laughs) But we're not going to stop there. I want to give you some breakdowns and analysis after some of the news that we cover. So let me get, let me see how I can get Schwann in here. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give him a couple more seconds. He'll probably be joining us in a moment. But first and foremost, I want to say thank you to everyone who has followed us who is listening to our show live and who is also checking us out on all of our media channels we are available on itunes soundcloud stitcher and also youtube you can be sure to find us all there definitely check out the mma ratings site at mmaratings.net and remember we are the only um outlet where you can rate the fights based on your own opinion so be sure to go there click the stars for how often you um Check the stars to tell us how much you or what you thought of of each and every fight that occurred over the weekend. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MMA Ratings Net, where we continuously talk about the sport of mixed martial arts. So, with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and turn to some of the news stories that we have first and foremost this week. We'll be talking about obviously um, Chris Cyborg and Tanya Eminger. We're going to talk about Donald Cerrone and Ronald, Robbie Lawler. You know, that fight was rescheduled this week. We have JDS and Francis Ngannou. Um, that's, a, that's another fight that kind of interested me. I, I'm looking forward to talking about that with Schwann as well. We also have Felice Herrick and her comments that she relayed. I think I wrote about this la- earlier this week after UFC Fight Night 112. She has some pretty interesting things to say about her place in the promotion. Then we're going to... Look at Bellator 180, also known as Bellator NYC, UFC Fight Night 112, and we're going to close out the show from there. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for checking us out, and we appreciate you um, being here tonight.
So first and foremost, I kind of want to start with, um, oddly enough, I kind of want to start with Fleece Herrick because she has some pretty interesting comments the, uh, Sunday evening after her win over Justine Cache at UFC Fight Night 112. She definitely put on a strong performance and uh, she pulled out a very gritty victory over a game opponent. Um, Justine Cage was not going away in any way, shape, or form. She definitely was, uh, you saw with that rear naked choke that Herrick had in, that was deep. I mean, look, it looked actually deeper than the choke that finished the Michael Chiesa-Kevin Lee fight. But Keisha was trying to fight it off as she fought it off for as long as she possibly could and even um, escaped it. And Herrick's comments were definitely something that caught me off guard. It caught me off guard for a couple of reasons because of not what she said, but the fact that she's the one that said it. That's kind of what caught me more off guard than anything else because, you know, we're, we're well aware of Herrick and her history in mixed martial arts. And we're you know we're kinda aware of where she is and what she's done in the past. So I'm trying to get Schwan into the show. He's having some technical difficulties. Let's see if I can get him in here. Let me try to get him in on the show. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, so my apologies. Sorry about that delay there, guys. So let's talk about what Herrick said this past weekend. So first and foremost, let's see. So she had some interesting things to say after her victory on... Saturday, what did she say? I'm going to read you some of her quotes from the post-fight scrum in which she said the following, and I quote, You can't look at me as some new up-and-comer. 
Sometimes I feel like I'm not young and beautiful enough for the UFC to want to promote me. It's sad because I've really worked hard to be here. It's hard to see these people who haven't been put through, who haven't been through what I've been through. They got into the UFC at the right time and they're getting all these opportunities. And I see how hard I work to get here and it doesn't matter. I'm not pretty enough and I'm not getting any younger. She also said, I mean, I just beat two undefeated fighters. Alexa Grasso is no joke. Justin Keish is no joke. I don't need a ranking to tell me I'm good. Close out. She also said, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying this like to point a finger at the UFC or Dana White. I know they have a business to run, but sometimes, and I'm not the only fighter who feels like this. I feel like I've paid my dues and nobody can deny that. I'm a UFC fighter and I've worked my way to the top. So I would like a little more love. That's it. Now, Herrig is 4-1 in the UFC. She lost that one fight to Paige Van Zandt, and that's the fight that she was even winning the first round, if I believe it correctly. You know, she's been in the game for quite some time, and I believe the UFC has her ranked right now. She is sitting, she's sitting in the top 10 in the strawweight division. She is currently number... She's number 10 right now as of the UFC rankings uh, today. I'm not sure if this has been updated. I believe it has, but um, she's currently sitting in the number 10 position. So the reason why it's so interesting to hear Herrick be the one to make these comments is because other people have said the same thing about her in the past. If you were to Google Justine, uh, excuse me, if you were to Google Felice Herrick, you're gonna find pictures of her topless pictures of her in uh, provocative positions and I'm not saying that that's wrong not at all you know you got to do what you got to do to get ahead and you know she's been a proponent of this for you know you know she's been doing her thing since she's been doing her thing and the same thing with Michelle Watterson you know the karate hottie will um the Karate High is going to be on the, on the cover. I think she has a cover edition of the ESPN The Body magazine. For you, those who don't know, that's the edition. That the I guess I want to equate it to the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition where athletes are shown fully in the nude um, participating in the sport where they're famous for. And I'm sitting here thinking about it. I believe uh, Conor McGregor has been in it, Ronda Rousey. Um, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, and uh, Conor McGregor's been in Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate. They've all been featured in the body issue, and now Michelle Watterson is included in that group. So now, you know, sexuality and women's MMA definitely they definitely play off one they play off one another and and you can definitely see that um Schwan I see you're back in but that echo is uh pretty loud yeah I'm not I have no idea where this echo is coming from so when you're are you hmm when you do you have the show open somewhere else? No, I closed out of everything else. It's just just me talking now. Okay. Okay. 
Hold on one second. Hold on one second. So can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yes, sir. Sean, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Still getting a goddamn echo, man. So, I got to figure out what's going on here. Talk to me about Felice Harris. Did you see her comments from this uh, yes, I did. I was a. Uh, I wasn't too shocked by him, to be honest. I. Uh, I was kind of sympathetic, but not as much as other people seem to be about it. To be, uh, I just wasn't as sympathetic as a lot of people seem to be about it. Were you surprised that surprised that, that, that said what she did? I mean, this is Felice Herrick, the same woman that if you Google her, you're gonna see. Probably more pictures of her in, you know, topless pictures going to pop up first. That that point of view, I wasn't shocked. Um, it's kind of like one of those dog-eat-dog kind of situations. I mean, she's making a point. I mean, a lot of her, a lot of what she sold was kind of an aesthetic, uh, a kind of lifestyle, and she's no longer on the, on that. Swan, see if you can unmute your mic. I think you accidentally just muted yourself by accident. Talk now. Swan, yeah? There you go. Okay, hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, like I said, I, I felt bad for her because, I mean, it's what comes around. It's the, it's the whole nature of sports. The younger, more exciting, more talented prospects are going to kind of take your place. And she always had a leg up on a lot of the girls because she was the attractive one or the sexy one or however you want to put it. And now she's getting to the point where that's no longer a, a viable selling point for her compared to the other girls in her division. And um, so, so it's kind of part of the game. It happens to guys, too. I mean, that's the thing I, I kind of didn't understand why so many people were, were so sympathetic because the same thing happens to guys. If you have more of an appeal, more of a look, you're going to get pushed harder. Even if you're a good fighter, you're going to be pushed to the back. They're going to try, try to find the person who's the most marketable person, and they're going to push them forward. The only option you have is to keep on winning fights, preferably win all your fights, but in the best part, win the majority of your fights so you can stay in the discussion and, and hopefully get your opportunity moving forward. So what's interesting is that this comes out the same week that Michelle Watterson appears in the body issue of ESPN. Does that correlate in such a form? It's just, they, they picked an athlete. I mean, they want an athlete with a look. That, that whole thing is you want a top level athlete and someone who has a look or, or charisma as well as that look. It's not just a matter of who's the best player, who's the best person. I mean, they have Ezekiel Elliott in there. Some would say he's not the best running back or the best player in the NFL but he has a body type and a look, and he's good enough, so they put him in there. You know, and I don't know that they made her an offer, but Felice, Felice Herrick really isn't 
as far as I know, isn't really a crossover star outside of mixed martial arts and maybe some of the fringe aspects of mixed martial arts. She's not really well known. She doesn't have like a commercial with a big brand or anything like that. Michelle Waterson's kind of a, a known property outside of mixed martial arts. Um, Felice Herrick isn't. And uh, she can't even blame the UFC for that because she does her own social media. She's had a, a big social media influence. She's had a big social media influence in the UFC. That's just, she hasn't broken those barriers. She hasn't made those steps forward in her career or in her marketing of herself. So when you listen to this situation, how do you think the UFC is going to respond? Do you think that they respond positively or would they respond negatively? I, I think that they're kind of going to ignore this just based on her track record. Even though she's what, 4 and 1 in the UFC right now, so I mean, she has a point. She is making a run. Well, this is, this is the thing that people forget. And, and I, because I always seem to be this person on Twitter and on the show. But the fact of the matter is, Felice. She, she wanted one of the big stars, one of the people who get pushed. She asked for Paige Van Zandt. She demanded Paige Van Zandt. She said, I'm the test. I'm going to expose her. She fought Paige Van Zandt, and she got beat the fuck up by Paige Van Zandt. Had she won that fight, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Paige Van Zandt, which she didn't. And she can tell me her mind wasn't right. She was depressed. She was sick. Her training was messed up. Every fighter has that. that I, I don't want to say excuse because I'm not a fighter, but... Every fighter has that excuse when they lose. It's, I was having personal problems. I wasn't well. I, this wasn't the real me. But the fact of the matter is she lost. So she can't keep acting like... It's not like she's been undefeated the past few years. And she's been putting on textbook performance after performance. And she's been ignored. She lost key fights. And now she's back on the upswing. And, that's, and now she's saying, well, I'm not getting the opportunities. But all the other people who were elite who faced Paige Van they beat her with an inch of her life and either knocked her out or submitted her, submitted her both times. Felice Herrick didn't. Felice Herrick just got beat up by Paige Van Zandt. So I don't, I don't know that she has a lot of ground to stand on. I, I really don't think, know she has a lot of ground to stand on because she didn't win those fights. You can't lose key fights and then complain about not being pushed. Well, I'm not going to say that Paige Van Zandt. I'm going to challenge you if Paige Van Zandt destroyed her because Felice Herrick won that first round. Yeah, she, she, won the um, first, she won that first round. But she definitely lost the second two after that. Yeah, after once, essentially, Felice fought very stupid. She met Paige in her key area of strength, which is the clinch, because Felice is also very well in the clinch. Felice has been, recently has been fighting much smarter, being much more aware, using all her skill sets, controlling the pace. And when she fought Paige, she fought, she fought in Paige's wheelhouse, and she fought at her pace. And she got beaten up. Towards the end of that fight, Van Zandt was just laying a beating on her. And if she would have won that fight, she would have been, Paige would have had to take a step back and she would have gotten a push, but she didn't. She lost it and she lost it decisively. So she can keep saying, well, they didn't push me, they pushed Paige, but you had a chance to knock Paige off and you didn't. You started getting more, she got, she got more press when she knocked off Alex Grosso, who was a big, who was somebody they were pushing to be a big star. She got a lot of press for that, but she won that fight. The other opportunity she had to take a step forward was beating Van Zandt and she didn't do it. And she can try to say, oh, that was, that was years ago. I wasn't. She can make all the excuses she wants, but if she would have won that fight, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. She lost. So what's next for her after, the, after that win? That was especially, um, it was pretty big. It was, pretty, uh, it, was, it was probably one of the better fights on that card. What's next for her? Um, I would think she's going to try. I would think she wants someone like, I would say, Claudia, maybe a Michelle Waterston. She's probably going gonna to want someone higher ranked than her. She's going to want somebody with some cachet, and she was going to want somebody who, if she beats them, is going to 
put her right in those title talks. So that really doesn't that doesn't apply to a lot of people. It have to be Claudia or maybe Michelle Waterson. I don't know who else is close enough to the title that it would be worth her while. So those are only two people I can think. Michelle's a bigger star outside of MMA, and she's she's got some vulnerabilities that I think Felice could take advantage of. Claudia is the clear bigger star in MMA and closer to a title shot, but I don't I don't know that. I don't know that she wants those kind of problems because I don't see how she beats Claudia to be quite honest. Yeah, I think that but that's definitely a test fight for her to win. Yeah, but those are the those are the two best options she has. I know she's not going to take a step backwards fighting a Tisha Torres or somebody. There's no purpose in that. So I'm going to assume it's going to be Claudia or it's going to be Michelle. Only two real options I have for her moving forward if she wants to be move up in the ranking and be considered a legitimate um, title person. Some people keep saying she wants Van Zant, but I don't understand why she would do that because if she fights Paige and wins. Paige is on a two-fight losing streak. That doesn't help your cause. And if she loses to Paige after being on a two-fight losing, you know, losing two fights, excuse me, two out of her th last three fights, that's going to set her back way back. That eliminates every win she's had over the past year, year and a half. She can't afford to lose that fight. Even if she's confident that she can win, she loses to Van Zant. She's right back at the end of the line, right back where she started by the girl who put her at the back of the line in the first place. You know, and we're sitting here and... We're talking about fighters getting pushed back to the back of the line and forced backwards by bad losses. There's another fight that was announced this week that kind of caught me off guard, man. I'm like looking at this fight between Junior Dos Anjos and Francis Ngannou, and I'm like, what the hell is, first of all, is JDS's camp thinking on saying yes to this fight, and then... The UFC for making this bout. That's this is going to end bad. Uh, it it really could because Junior does not seem to have the chin. He usually has. He doesn't have the durability ability to take a shot or recover from one. But at the same instance, he's it's going to be one of the few times Francis and Donna be facing a guy with comparable athleticism. He's been facing guys he's outclassed athletically by leaps and bounds. If he fights DeSantos, he's actually fighting someone in his realm of athleticism. And if DeSantos comes out there confidently moving his hands, looking to exchange, he could put Ngano in some trouble. So in one instance, it, he could easily blow him out. But based off of what I've seen of DeSantos when he gets going, he could blow Ngano out too. Because nobody really knows what Ngano has under duress. We don't know what he's like against a guy who's got some hand speed and some power and some explosiveness. All we've seen him is beat up on second, or excuse me, third and fourth tier heavyweights. And you know, Ar Andre Arlarski isn't anything at this point. So I, I think Junior's a live dog. I, it, the thing is, he just can't seem to take abuse anymore, which is a big question mark because Ngannou is a big hitter. But I think there are spots where Junior could get to him. I think it's very likely that Junior can catch him and put him away. How do you see this fight going? Comes out scared, he's gonna get walked through. If he backs himself into the cage like he did versus Stipe and he won't let his hands go, he's just, he's just gonna get stopped. But if Ngannou comes out gunning, Junior can counter him. I think Junior's hands are a little bit sharper and might be a little bit quicker. If he comes out on his toes boxing, then he can counter Ngannou. And I think if he puts hands on Ngannou, Ngannou can't take it. I really don't think Ngannou's got the chin necessary to do it. And I, I think that if Junior comes out aggressively, he, he can score some points and he can, put it, he can get him in trouble. It's just a matter of what Junior are we going to get. The guy who's backing up right into the fence and, and setting himself to get knockout or the Junior who's coming to do work. It's really, you don't really know. He came to do work against Ben Rothwell, and then he fought, he seemingly fought scared against Stipe Miocic. And when he fought Al Al Alistair Overeem, 
he was kind of in between those. He was kind of scared and hesitant at first, and then he started opening up later in the round. So I, I don't know what Junior we're going to get, but if we get the one we've seen against Overeem early and against Stipe, he won't get out of the first round because Ngannou is just that fast and hits that hard. True, true. Now let me ask you this. If Ngannou picks up the big win, do you see him in the title picture? I mean, by default, it'd have to be because who who else is there? I mean, Kane Velasquez, you can't depend on him to fight. He's always getting hurt. Um, Derek Lewis is temporarily retired, or is he retired now? I don't think he is, based off his last comment. Okay, well then, the only option, well, he's coming off a loss anyway, so that would, I mean, what are you going to do? You could even put him in against maybe Mark Hunt. I just haven't seen Ganu under duress. I have no idea what he does if he hits somebody and that person doesn't go away. Or if he hits that person, that person hits him back. I don't know what he does. I have no concept of what his, his toughness and his durability is. So it's hard for me to just say put him into a title fight because we have no idea how he's going to respond. So, I mean, like, outside of, I mean, Hunt's been on a losing streak, so Hunt's only got one win. Derek Lewis has just lost, so he's not going to be in there. I really don't know what they do with him. I, don't, they, I mean, I, I don't think they want to put him in there with Lewis. Jump the line and put him in against... Stipe, maybe have him fight Kane Velasquez if, if Kane's healthy. That's the only thing I can think of. Kane Velasquez or maybe Mark Hunt. Only two people I can think of at this stage. I think that Derek Lewis fight is going to happen. It's a little bit more important at this point in time. Um, Kane Velasquez, man, I don't know what he's going to do. This guy had surgery lined up last I heard. And you know how I feel about the rest of the heavyweight division. I'm kind of like, there's guys just sitting there. Well, you can say that, but I mean, one of the guys just sitting there beat up Derek Lewis. I mean, Mark Hunt is a middling heavyweight at best, and he just let he just put he just put it on Derek Lewis. He did. So, he did. so I mean, it, we could say Lewis because Lewis got the potential. But we said that we we talked about it two weeks ago. As many fights as Lewis has won, Lewis has been like a half inch from losing every fight he's been in. He almost lost to Travis Brown. He almost lost to Roy Nelson. I mean, he hasn't really improved. And the only thing I know is that he can take a, he can take a decent shot. He I know he can take a shot, and I don't know Ngannou can. But I also know Ngannou is a little bit better of an athlete and in better shape and a little bit more explosive. So what's the likelihood that poor Lewis gets to him? True. That's definitely some good at, um, that's some good breakdown there. Um, I'm not sure when this fight is going to occur, but, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to watch with bated breath, kind of my eyes covered, because I think that this is going to end badly and it's going to be pretty vital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the sad thing is with the heavy with the heavyweight fights, we always keep thinking it's going to be these knockout dynamic <laughs> knockouts, and it always ends up going rounds. And it getting, does. Getting, getting slow. It's like nobody even has any faith that the heavyweight's going to get knockouts now. It's like, oh, this fight won't go past the first round. Three rounds later. <laughs> yeah, like, and then oh it's five rounds, and then it's six rounds, and it's I mean, excuse me, five rounds, and it's like, what the hell? You got guys gassing, throwing one or two punches, running away, leaning on the fence because they can't stand up anymore. It's, I mean, I, I know they're world-class athletes, but it's really hard to say, you know, I deserve the same money as J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt does his job, and he ain't tired after, after 25 minutes of doing his job, man. And you can tell me it's fighting and it's different, but that's the job you chose. You should at least be able to be in shape to compete in it at a, full, at, at a decent pace. And, and that's, we don't see that in, in heavyweight MMA very rarely. We don't see that. After, out of five rounds, you might get about a good seven minutes out of, out of 25. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, another fight I wanted to talk about, there's two other men. There's, obviously, we got the Damian Maya 
and Tyron Woolley fight. We're going to cover that in a second. Um, but let's talk about Chris Cyborg and Tanya Eminger. So Eminger is stepping in for Megan Anderson. Anderson is pushed out for, I believe it was visa reasons. So now we have Chris Cyborg fighting probably the one woman that the UFC did not want to sign in Tanya Eminger now. Eminger has gone on record in saying that she thinks that the UFC didn't sign her because she's older. She's not as attractive as some of the other women. And whether you want to believe that or not, you know, Avenger has put together wins that kind of says she deserves to be within the UFC. She's a uh, normal bantamweight coming up to featherweight to fight Cyborg for the featherweight title because, you know, they stripped um, GDR of the belt. I think Cyborg's going to win this. But I think it's going to be ugly. I think Avenger is going to push her kind of in a way that Marlos Conan pushed her. But, you know, in, in saying that, Marlos Conan got battered along the way. Break down this fight for me and tell me what you think. Is um, I don't think that Avenger is going to be an easy out at any shape or form. Well, first off, I, I have to comment. What, what the hell is wrong with Megan Anderson and her team? Like, I don't know what's going on. It could be something serious. If it's a visa problem, that's just inexcusable. Like, how do you demand this fight for months and months and weeks and go out on every social media and every show and every, I want the fight, I need the fight. I'm the person who's not scared. And then as soon as you get the fight, like a week and a half later, you have to pull out of the fight. I mean, no offense to that. That's irresponsible. That's poor management. That's just every sort of mixed up thing you could possibly have. So. I don't know what's going on with them, but that's a real bad look. And that might have consequences moving past her career, moving forward with the, with the UFC. So yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. You know, that's not professional. I'm sorry. I mean, whatever happened, it's just not professional. As far as the actual fight, I think Avenger is actually the tougher fight. As, as, good as, as much as I've seen from Anderson, she's athletic, she's long. She seems to have a, a high work rate and some athleticism with her striking. She hasn't beaten anybody with any sort of real pedigree or somebody who had any sort of extended success in their division. I mean, cause a lot of the girls at 145, there's a lot of girls at 135 who could beat up the 45ers in Invicta. To be quite honest, they're just a better class of fighter and the 35 division is shallow as it is. I mean, the girls she beat up, uh, even, even damaged Ronda Rousey could walk through those girls. I mean, Sarah McMahon could beat every girl that Megan Anderson beat. Venus could beat every girl that Megan Anderson beat. I don't know that a man that Megan Anderson could beat everybody that Amanda Nunes has beaten. I don't know that she gets past Misha Tate. I don't know that she gets past Valentina. I don't know that she even beats Kat Zingano. So the 35 is actually a better class of athlete with more skilled and more experienced fighters. And Tanya Evinger is actually, you know, I, I have to say I agree with Tanya. She's kind of not the kind of person the UFC wants to always be associated with because of how she talks, some of the things she says. It could. It could rub some people the wrong way. And she just doesn't care about it. She's going to be herself, which I respect. So the UFC has not been looking out for her best interest. She hasn't lost the fight in what? Five, six, seven years? Yeah. She's been, yeah. A, she's been a dominant champion at 35. And she's not a small 35-er. She's been essentially manhandling these girls, roughing them up, throwing them down, beating them up, pushing them up against the fence, taking them down, and just putting elbows, chokeholds, and fists across their face. So she's not a small, a small band away who's incapable a fighting, a grinding, physically punishing fight. And that's what I think is the difference between her, between her and Anderson. I don't know how tough Anderson is. I saw Anderson take some shots from people I don't consider big hitters, and I don't consider particularly dangerous fighters, and she seemed a little little bothered by it. 
And that's not what you want to see going in against somebody like Chris Cyborg. But with somebody like Tanya Evinger, who has a wrestling-heavy background, she's going to be a little, little bit more physically stronger and a little bit stouter than a, than a striker, especially a striker like Anderson, who likes to work at range and work at a pace. That's not a fighter who gets in and makes fights dirty and, and grinds on you and leans on you and beats you up in close. That's the kind of fighter Evinger is. So Evinger should be more likely to handle those clinches and handle those grappling exchanges, maybe even force some grappling exchanges to Cyborg. That's gonna be the big difference. Does she have the physicality to kind of push and extend Cyborg past a round one or past a round two, take some of that explosiveness away so that when it gets into like later in the round two or round three, Cyborg's power isn't as much a factor and her counter punching and her all round striking advantage isn't as much a factor. That, that's really what Tanya Evinger brings to the table. Toughness and aggression and a physicality that should be able to offset some of the huge physical advantages that Cyborg had. The actual, the fight's not gonna come down to technique, really. The fight's gonna come down to who's more comfortable working harder to do the things they like to do. Cyborg's gonna have to work a little bit harder to manhandle Evinger, because Evinger is not weak, Evinger is not small, Evinger is very physically strong and a physical fighter. So she's gonna have to work a little bit harder and control her pace. Evinger is not going to be able to ragdoll Cyborg. If she takes her down, Cyborg is going to get back up. The cage, against Cage, Cyborg is going to push her off of the cage. So the question is, when Evinger doesn't have that huge strength advantage, is she going to be able to stick to her game plan, fight discipline, be defensively responsible against somebody who's physically able to limit who's going to make her work, work to do the things she usually does easily? So that's going to be the test between the two of them which person can handle working a little bit harder, taking a little bit more punishment and going a little bit further than they're typically used to doing. So when I think about this fight, you know, like I said, I think it's going to be something that's ugly. I think it's going to be a grimy affair. And I think, but I do believe that Cyborg is going to pull out the victory here. When you look at this women's featherweight division, it's like really like, what's next? Um, because they built it around one woman, and other than Kat Zingano, what else do they really have there to offer Cyborg in the future? Uh, essentially, what they're going to do is they're just going to bring in girls who want to move up to 45 and get beat up. I mean, like I said, there's a chance Avenger can win this. If she makes it grimy and ugly, if she can extend Cyborg, she can gas her. If it's, an, if it's a wide-open fight... Cyborg's going to walk all over her because Evinger doesn't have the athleticism to strike with Cyborg or to be in these high scramble fights. I, I don't believe she does. But if Cyborg, if Evinger somehow won, I guarantee you a lot of people would move up from 35 to fight her because they think she's beatable. If Cyborg wins, they're going to have to pay out huge amounts of money to get some girl to come up and fight her. I mean, that's all to it. The reason we're getting this fight now is because nobody else in the UFC wants to fight her. Holly Holm doesn't want to fight her. Jermaine Durandamy doesn't want to fight her. Amanda Nunes doesn't want to fight her. Nobody wants to fight her. So they, they can't find somebody to fight her, so they had to go to Invicta. That's the only reason Avengers in here, because nobody else wants to do it, and they figure, and in my mind, the UFC figures Cyborg's going to punt her head into the second row of the Coliseum or wherever they're fighting, so they might as well put her in there. But, I mean, really, nobody wants to fight her, so it's hard to build a division, and it's hard to set up fights for her because everybody's ducking her. And this, that's why they had to go to the extreme of getting Tanya Evinger. I mean, I guess if Anderson gets her stuff straight, they can fight her. But she's already beat up everybody in Invicta. So really, who else is there? I mean, I guess there's Julia Budd and Bellator, but she's in Bellator. So I don't know who they go to get. I don't know who they can bring in without having to overpay them tremendously to get them to fight Cyborg. Because everybody seems to say, I'll fight her, but it better be for a, 
a whole hell of a lot of money. And we already know Holly Holmes getting paid a ton of money and she didn't want to do it. She wants more to fight Cyborg. Same thing with Zingano and the rest of them. So I, I really don't know what happens after this point. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, I think that, that they continue to find bodies for her. They continue to um, move women up to fight her. I'm not going to lie that Zingano fight kind of interests me. But I don't think that that's, I think that that's going to, I mean, I know Zingano's tough. And I know she's kind of gritty and grimy like that. But I don't think that that fight is going to go probably similar to how the Tiny Evanger fight is going to go. I think Zingano should have to actually win a fight before she gets to take that fight. I mean, no offense to her, but when's the last time she won a fight? Uh, was it Misha Tate? I, no, no, she beat Amanda Nunes, and then she lost to Ronda, and then she lost to um, Julia Pena. That's true. I mean, if you can't handle Julia Pena's athleticism and physicality, and Julia Pena is taking you down and reversing you, what's Cyborg going to do? It's kind of a reward. How did you get rewarded for losing fights? You get the biggest fight? Based off of what? Getting beat up by Julia Pena? Mm, I suppose, you know. I mean, I think she's getting, like, the awarded uh, fight because no one else won it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, that's the fight they have to make, but, I mean, how does that help Cyborg, really? I mean, it, it might be an impressive win, but so what? I mean, unless she finishes her in less than a minute, we've already seen Ronda finish this, this chick in, like, 20 seconds. And, and you took a whole two rounds? Wow, that's not a good look, you know? And God forbid she gets any offense off on her. You know what I'm. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those no-win situations. She has to go out there and basically walk through Zingano. And if Zingano puts up any resistance, it makes people look at Cyborg a certain way. Even though none of the and the fighters will say she's vulnerable. I see flaws in her game, but none of them will sign to fight her. So it it just it's just kind of a it's just a bad move. I don't think Cyborg should have came to the UFC. I don't think the UFC should have done a featherweight division. I really think Bellator. She should have went to Bellator where they have. They're going out of their way to find people, and they're invested in her. I still don't think the UFC is invested in her. I still don't think they believe in her. I think they're just dealing with her because the big star got knocked off, and this is the, the best thing they got going. Because nobody cares about Amanda Nunes. You're right. No one really cares about her. Yeah, I mean, think um, about it. Cyborg hasn't had a fight. Cyborg's not even wasn't even really in the UFC, like as an official weight class fighter. And she gets still more press than Amanda Nunes defending her belt. Like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And she's not, even, she's not even fighting somebody in her division or someone who fought for the UFC, and it's making more news than Amanda Nunes defending her title for, for uh, the, what, second, second time? Mm -hmm. in, a, in a grudge match, rematch? And nobody's talking about that. It's all Cyborg. Who's Cyborg going to fight? Somebody stepped up to fight Cyborg. Oh, my God. Oh, now she's got the Tanya Evinger angle, and Evinger is huge in the MMA community. So this fight is going to far over, overshadow Nunes uh, Shevchenko, unless it's the greatest fight of the year, it, it's just going to overshadow it. And and we're talking about a division that has literally two fighters in it, two three fighters most. Yeah, two or three fighters most. You know, one division that is crazy deep is that welterweight division, where we have two big fights we want to talk about. We have Donald Cerrone, Robbie Lawler. That fight is getting moved. Then we also have Damian Maya and Tyron Woodley. In the in lack of Cerrone Lawler, you know. I'm very excited about this potential matchup. I'm not mad at it being moved. You know, if if Cerrone has the blood infection that he mentioned, okay, no problem. I understand it. But is that a fight? That I think that's a fight that's really going to tell where both of these men are, where health-wise, because they've been through some wars as of late. They've been stopped violently as of late. 
And I think this fight is really going to be one of those moments where it's like, man, one or both of these guys are punch shot. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I was actually going to do an article on Donald Cerrone, and then I thought better of it because when I was writing it, I was like, man, like anybody who likes him is probably going to be trying to fight me and if they see me on the street. But all the stuff I was saying in it was true. Uh, I mean, like, really, if Robbie Lawler isn't completely shot, I don't, I don't see how this, this is really competitive. I mean, it's an action fight. I don't see how it's competitive at all. Robbie Lawler does all the things that Donald Cerrone isn't, isn't good at dealing with. Robbie Lawler is a vicious body puncher. I've never seen Donald Cerrone take two consecutive shots of the body and not, not fold up. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I haven't seen it. You know, Melvin Guillard's hurt him with body shots. Uh, Pettis cut him in half. Desanos essentially had him, had him quit as a result of a body assault. And Robbie Lawler is bigger, stronger, more explosive, and hits harder than all those guys. Even at this stage of his, his career, he, he's still a more damaging body puncher. Donald Cerrone doesn't have the greatest chin. For some reason, he's got this image of being like a, a real tough, rough, physical fighter. He's tough and rough when he's distributing it. He don't take, he don't take punishment really well. Nate Diaz lit him up, dude. Nate Diaz beat him up. I saw Ed Ratliff putting, putting hands on him and hurting him on the feet. Jamie Varner, all these guys who don't hit, even at their best, don't hit as hard or savagely as Robbie Lawler hits right now. So I, 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 as much as I like his skill set, and I think he's a very balanced fighter and he's improved, it seems like a fight that can get really ugly really fast unless Robbie Lawler just can't take a shot anymore. Because Do- Donald Cerrone isn't a one-shot KO guy. He's not really a big, a big hitter, to be honest. I mean, he, he really isn't. So, I mean, I mean, Tyrone Woodley knocking you out one shot, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Tyrone Woodley could knock a lot of guys out one shot. He almost knocked out Wonder Boy one shot. But... Um, Unless that's done permanent damage to Robbie Lawler's chin, and I don't know that it does because Lawler took a lot of time off, and he's really getting himself set to, to take this back on. I don't see how I don't see how um, Cerrone wins it outside of submitting him, because Lawler just has a historically a better chin, better power, better boxing, and uh, and just more durable as a fighter. Yeah, man, I think that this is a bad fight for both, man. I think we're going to see these guys on a decline, kind of like we saw with Carlos Condit and Dan Hardy after their fight. Um, and I think that it's going to kind of be a downward spiral from here. When this fight does occur... I hope they're getting paid well. I hope they're getting paid very well for it. I think they will. They, they, they definitely will. Um, when this fight occurs, who do you think is going to come out on top? Uh, I haven't seen Lawler do anything at all. I guess I'm just going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Lawler. Because at least he's been taking time off. I mean, uh, even though Cerrone's run at welterweight hasn't been against a high-level opposition, his last two fights at welterweight, he's taken a lot of punishment. He's taken a lot of punishment. Against Matt Brown, he, he really got touched up a little. He got touched up. Against Rick Story, he got a little touched up. And against um, Masvidal, he just got, he got laid out. I mean, he just got, he got really beaten up and hurt. So I, I really think Lawler... Lawler has a better shot of getting off early. Uh, Cerrone doesn't always start fast, and if and if uh, Lawler jumps on him right away, I think Lawler can put him away. I don't I don't think he can take Lawler's power. I think Lawler, even if he's not all the way there, should be able to handle Cerrone's shots at least initially enough to get to land his own. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another welterweight fight in there I want to talk about where we have Tyrone Woodley and Damian Maya. This fight was just announced for UFC 214. Man, we have John Jones, Daniel Cormier, uh, Avenger Cyborg, and now Willie Miles, supposedly the main event. 
A lot of people are interested in this fight, and I and I understand why. There's an interesting matchup between a stellar grappler who's turned into a striker against, or excuse me, stellar wrestler who's turned into a striker, striker against probably the best grappler in mixed martial arts, maybe history. I'm not. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I look at this fight and I look at it from a paper standpoint, and I think that this is a fight that Maya can definitely win, especially if it hits the ground. But break it down for me and let me know what your thoughts are on this welterweight affair that was just announced. It's like one of those fights that can go either way. Like it could just be a blowout for Woodley the first time he touches him. Because I've seen Maya get knocked out by by lesser hitters than Woodley. I've seen him get hurt. I've seen him get beat up by guys who don't hit with one half of the power that Woodley hit. So I can see Woodley, Woodley landing a knee, a big shot, and just icing Damien completely. But then I look at it, the fact that Woodley, all of his offense is based off of him backing up himself and then come, kind of exploding as you step in. If he doesn't land the right, if he doesn't land that shot, if he misses and Maya gets in on his body and gets a hold of him, it's essentially over because I've yet to see someone who Maya gets his hands on not, not, not get submitted, not get brought to the ground. And I don't have any confidence in Woodley's overall submission defense or his ability to maintain top position or his ability to control Maya at all. Everybody keeps telling me he's this great wrestler. He hasn't been for like three or four years. He just hasn't been that guy. And I've never seen him against a really legitimately gifted submission guy. I just ha I haven't seen him any time recently about it. So, like I said, he could back up and just land something big on Maya and put him out. But the thing about Woodley is Woodley doesn't throw a lot of, if you watch him fight, he doesn't throw, he doesn't have a wide range of shots he throws. It's not like he throws a bunch of uppercuts and hooks and cross counters and pull counters and knees and kicks. He really kind of, he really kind of throws like three or four, three to five shots. And it's usually the first two are what he throws the most. If he doesn't land that and Maya can slip it or Maya can get under it and he gets his hands on him, it, it's a whole new world. Because Maya's kind of like Jake Shield. He's not dynamic with his takedown. But once he gets his hands on you, it's hard to separate yourself. It's really hard to separate yourself. And as much as Woodley says he's not afraid to hit the ground with him, I have to believe he has, he should he has, be. to, he has to have some concern for it. You know, he, I mean, Mastodal is a better grappler than him. Gunnar Nelson's a better grappler than him. A lot of people are better grapplers than him. And they're cautious about green on the ground with, with Damian Maya. But you expect me to believe that Tyron Woodley has no fear of it all? I mean, if that's what he, maybe it's true. I don't believe it. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those fights that could literally go either way and, and just that quickly because I don't think the technical gap on the feet is as wide between him and Maya. Maya just doesn't have the power or the athleticism to really, to really compete blow for blow on the feet. But as far as the technique they use and the range of techniques, mm, I'm not going to say there's that big a gap. But on the ground, it's immense. I mean, it's it just, it's another world. It's not even close on the ground. The thing that separates them is the athleticism. Can Maya get to him before he gets finished because Woodley is just that explosive. He hits just that hard. He doesn't even have to hit you clean. And Maya at this stage, I don't think his chin's all the way there. I don't think his physical strength is, is quite what it was. And I know his foot speed and his quickness isn't there either. So it's really just a matter of does, does Woodley's timing and explosiveness win the day? Because based off a of technique, pure technique on the feet, I think Maya could hang with him in spots, but on the ground, there, there's no chance. It's literally, can Woodley get him before Maya gets his hands on him? And what's crazy is, like, if this fight does hit the ground and Woodley's on top, that doesn't mean he's safe. No. At all. Um, Damian Maya you thought, he, you thought he played it safe with, with Wonder Boy on the ground? Oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. You have not seen nothing yet.
Like that does not make him safe to be on his back against uh, Damian Maya, not in any way, shape, or form, because Maya has a very aggressive guard. Like that's the thing that's scary. Like his aggressing, his his, gra- his grappling is extremely aggressive, and that just does not work well for someone who is patient and able to um, lay in your guard and think he's going to throw elbows on you. The thing about it is that, and I'm not the grappling expert, you know much more than me, but the thing about it is Maya such, has such a skill gap that he can either lay back and let you hang yourself, or he's good enough that he can force you into positions and force you into giving them something. I mean, you saw Carlos Condit. He tried to tie him up to get a stand-up. It didn't work. You see guys try to scramble. That doesn't work either. You see guys try to defend and roll him. That didn't work either. I mean, Gunnar Nelson's a very good jiu-jitsu guy, and he just got, he just got completely stymied by Damian Maya. Now I know Tyron Woodley says, well, Jake Shields did this and Jake Shields that. You're not Jake Shields, man. You don't have Jake Shields structure in your grappling. You don't have his patience. You don't have his control. You, you don't have the ability to chain your wrestling with the submission grappling quite in the manner that Jake Shields does because Jake Shields does not have athleticism and a dynamic wrestling base to bail him out. Jake Shields had to develop a complete and balanced and structured and suffocating game. Tyrone, you can't develop that over a couple, a couple weeks, a couple months. It's essentially, can he land big on Maya, and or can he just play it safe enough to just hang in there, land some big damage, and just hang in there for five rounds? I don't think he wants to go five rounds with Maya. I think he's gonna try and get him out there, ASAP. And he can. Maya can't take his power. I don't believe Maya can take, uh, a, getting clipped at all by by Woodley. But if Woodley misses, or if Woodley gets off balance, or Woodley over pursues. And then, then it's trouble for him because the gap on the ground technically is just it's like worlds apart it's not even miles or states or countries it's it's literally worlds that's how that's how why the gap is between those two yeah and what's crazy is that um like i said maya is very dangerous off of his back and he's comfortable there so how does willie deal with that yeah jake shields did this thing but as you mentioned you know jake shields is a world-class grappler he's out there beating guys like dylan dennis he has a match with daniel strauss coming up later on uh, in august so what the hell are people thinking just trying to make that quick equation that tyron willie can do the same thing yeah i mean think about it. think when they when he fought jake shields tyron willie didn't want to open up on the feet he was real cautious he let he let jake shields outstrike him he wasn't trying to mess around with any takedowns or tie-ups or anything. He was just trying to avoid any sort of in- extended grappling exchange at all because he knew what would happen to him. He's seen it happen to better. He's seen it happen to world-class wrestlers, world-class fighters, and he didn't want no parts of it. And we already know Tyrone Woodley is perfectly willing to make a fight boring and ugly to keep his title. He's done it before, doing it against a guy who wants to get it on the ground. He did it against a guy standing up. We mm-hmm. know he'll do. He'll do whatever it takes. If he has to stick and move, run, he'll do whatever. He does not care about how it looks. He cares about maintaining that title. He definitely does. He definitely does. So let's talk about titles, man. We saw some titles switch hands this past weekend at Bellator 180. Um, we saw Michael Chandler drop his title. Um, Ryan Bader, excuse me, Phil Davis dropped his title to Ryan Bader. What was your impression of this card? My thoughts were like, you know, this was probably about as Bellator as a Bellator could get. It was a clusterfuck, but an almost like in an interesting and comedic and still entertaining type of way. So just from an overall point of view, before we go down into 
individual fights. What did you think of this showcase? I, I really thought it, it created a lot of talk. Like when I pick events, first thing you want to see is the quality of the event before, the quality of the matchups, the quality of like, quality of fighters. Second thing you go for is the actual performance on fight night. But what's almost as important is, is, is those two things and sometimes overshadows it is what kind of storylines does that event have moving forward? Because it's not just, oh, we had a big fight. You have a really good fight. After a couple of weeks, that goes away. But when you have weird refereeing or you have weird antics or you have a huge upset, that kind of stuff has, has storylines to go on the next week, the next month, when that fighter comes up. It, it, it keeps interest and it keeps eyes on the product. And that's what Bellator wants to do. They don't just want to have a big number and then have you move on to the next UFC. They want things that are going to have you talking about them throughout the next UFC, throughout the next UFC fight night, throughout the next UFC full card. They want you talking about this card and all the stuff that happens on it from now until UFC 214, where where UFC will overshadow Bellator once again. Um, But that's what they want. And this card provided that. There's a lot of storylines after the fact that they can build on and they can use to get interviews, to cross promote, to build stars on, to build up other guys who weren't thought of as stars. I mean, they just have the the Chandler injury. That's a huge rematch down the line. It's going to get ratings because of the nature of it. The Pico upset, that's huge. Now, and Freeman, he likes to talk now. He's doing all the shows. He's talking. That's that's a great story in itself. I mean, Chael, there's just a lot. Heather Hardy, that that's getting coverage in boxing in mainstream sports, ESPN and Fox, and getting coverage in MMA. I mean, they've got storylines that are keeping them in the in the mix, even though they don't really have any important, big flagship events coming up anytime soon. They're still in the mix. People are still talking about that. People are still buzzing about it. Platforms. And that's, that's what the Bellator needs. They need to get to the point where they're in the public's mind and the public thinks of them as quickly or in a similar fashion to the UFC. And part of that is the things they did, such as bringing in Goldberg and having these sort of upsets and weird sort of antics, the stuff that stays in people's mind. And I know people say there's bad publicity, but in this kind of sport, it, you're a niche sport. It's hard to get publicity. You need to take whatever you can and build off of it. Hmm. So, so let's start from the top then. Sun and Silver. Did you even care, watch, or were you interested in this fight? The fight was bad. The fight, it, was, it happened what we thought was going to happen. But it was more competitive than people had to think. I mean, Vanderlei had a couple good moments in there. He 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 rock he dropped Silva. He dropped excuse me, he dropped Sonnen. He hurt him in the, in the third round. You know, I mean Sonnen and Sonnen was actually looking like he was trying to put some punishment on him. It wasn't it wasn't the worst fight I've seen. I've seen worse fights for guys in their primes in the UFC. So I'm not gonna pretend like this is the worst. I mean, Brandon Shaw, Andre Arlovsky was much worse than this one. The Caleb Starr's fight where he just refused to engage, that was worse than this one. I've seen worse fights in the UFC. So I can't even say that was a bad fight. And it was two guys of a similar age who had a story. The fight was, Randerley had some moments. Chael had some moments. It was good enough for me. I mean, it wasn't an important fight as far as the division, but it gave Chael a win. It, it gave Silva a loss, but it showed him as a dangerous fighter because he was still able to do some work on the feet. And um, it, neither guy really lost a lot from it. We know we know Randerley can't wrestle with a guy like Chael. We know Chael can't stand up with a guy like Silva their hands at it. They had different levels of success. Sonnen's got a win. Silva's got a loss, but a loss that didn't take anything from him as far as how he looks or, or his standing. It wasn't like he got knocked out. He just got out-wrestled. It happened if, if Sonnen was able to wrestle f- with them for three rounds. So, I mean, that's that's the best-case scenario. That that fight went as good as it could have possibly gone. 
so do you do anything next with these guys? Supposedly, uh, both men are trying to fight again. I, th I would rather not. You know, I'm working on a piece about MMA legends still doing their thing years after. Do you think that the Bellator should do anything with them? You can do things with Sonnen because their middleweight division is really shallow. I mean, they could have welterweights move up. The fact is, Sonnen, with his wrestling ability against some of the guys they have in Bellator, he could still win fights. As long as he can get a takedown, he, he's good enough to control guys and to just ride them out for three rounds. And he, but he's old enough and he's slipped enough physically where guys who aren't, aren't great grapplers or aren't good defensive wrestlers are going to have opportunities to score their, to do damage on the feet, to land knees, to land punches, to defend him and put some, put some leather on his face. Right at that balance, but there's guys in the Bellator division he can beat right now. There just are. I mean, no matter what you say, he's faded, he's not as sharp as he used to be, but when he fought Tito Ortiz, Tito's like, Tito's like a light heavyweight who's essentially a small heavy, a light heavyweight who's essentially a small heavyweight fighting a light heavyweight. Tito had like, what, three fights in Bellator? I mean, he'd been active against a pretty, not the greatest level comp, but he'd been consistently fighting. Chael hadn't fought in years coming in. That, I was, I was actually shocked by the result. I thought Chael was going to win, to be quite honest. I mean, I, I really thought Chael was going to win. So you can do stuff with Chael because he's not just getting blown out or beaten up or KO time after time after time. Even in, in the UFC towards the end of his career, he was still fairly competitive. He submitted Shogun Rua, the Shuhua, the same Shogun who's on the three, four fight win sheet right now in the UFC. You know, so you can still do something with, with Sonic, especially especially given the lack of depth they have in that division. Silva, as long as you give him a guy who's willing to fight with him and exchange with him, win or lose, he's going to be exciting either way. I mean, and, and you can do stuff with him too. I don't know that you, I, it's a little bit of a dicier proposition with him because in those striking exchanges, that age catches up with you quickly. But um, you can still put fights on him that people will be interested in. And with Sonic, you can still put him in because he, he won his last fight. And with his skill set and his approach, he can still be competitive. Randy Couture was competitive in a very shallow division for years. In Bellator's middleweight division, Chael can be very competitive for at least at least at least a couple years. They can get a couple more big ratings or big events off of him. Yeah, I don't disagree with you in reference to that. I don't want to spend too much time on those two guys because um, you know. I don't think that they were the stars of the evening. Uh, let's talk about... I don't want to spend too much time on Fedor either. Um, him and Matt Mitrion did their thing at heavyweight. Mitrion got the victory. Is there anything that stands out with in reference to this? Uh, not really. I mean, it, it went the way it could have went. Either Mitrion was going to get knocked out, which he almost did, or Fedor. If Fedor would have fallen, hit him a little bit harder, he would have finished Mitrion because he would have been on top of him. It was like a 50-50, one guy. I the younger guy, younger, bigger guy recovered quicker and got on top. It easily could have been the other way around. Easily could have been the other way around. I mean, they, yeah. they do have the, the Chael Fader option. They could do that. That, that is true. That could still sell. I don't know that do you do that, though? I mean, Chael's a safe guy to fight. His stand-up's not really dangerous. He's a middleweight. He's not really big enough to, to maul Fader on the ground. Fader should be able to get back up and make it a... Uh, striking exchange, or Fedor should be able to submit him from the ground as well. So it's a, and if he loses the Fedor, that's not a, that's not, that's not a loss that takes away from him either. And he shouldn't knock Fedor out either. So, I mean, he could sell the fight, he could sell it, and they could make it. And, and whether whichever way it goes, Fedor won't get knocked out. Um, Chael might get submitted, but we've seen that before. 
I don't think he gets knocked out. Well, he could get knocked out, but you know, Fedor's a, a heavyweight, so that that wouldn't really take any shine off of, of a chael either. So that that's a fight that could be doable, and they could still sell it, especially because those guys are in the same age range. As long as you have legends fighting guys in their age range, you don't have a problem. It's when you have them fighting these twenty-year-olds. That's that's when you start seeing embarrassing fights. Yeah, I can definitely uh, agree with you on that. There. Um, let's talk about. I don't want to talk about Demon Gracie. Let's skip, let's skip over that. What about um, Michael Chandler losing his title in probably the most controversial way I've ever seen with that um, ankle injury? What did you think of this? And should the spells already make a media match? I, the thing I think about, I thought he was actually had a broken bone, and when they said it was actually nerve damage that could have come from getting kicked, I mean, I hate to say Brent Primus was talking about his kicks and how dangerous they were and the nerve damage they can do and how he ruins guys with them and, and sparring, and I'm not saying that's what happened, but he did say that before the actual event. He said his kicks could do huge damage because he kicks especially low and he damages guys' legs with them. So for it to be like a cramp or some kind of nerve damage that limited him, I know it's a, it might be a coincidence more than something he did on purpose, but the fact that he mentioned it, it kind of gives it a little bit more weight. And if he actually had damage done from, even if it was from him bouncing around, that's part of his fighting style. So that could have happened at any time. The fact is Primus took advantage of it and made it worse by kicking him in the leg repeatedly. So, I mean, it's kind of wonky the way it ended, but they'll, they'll probably do an immediate. Well, I don't know how long he's going to be out because of the injury. Some people say it might be a couple of months. If he's, out for two, if he's out for two or three months, you can't have a rematch anytime soon. And then you're going to have Pitbull and Benson Henderson fight. I think if whoever wins from Pitbull and Benson Henderson, if Chandler's not ready, is going to end up fighting Primus for the title. I, I think they would like to wait, but I don't know that you can wait that long. I don't know that you can, if it takes him three or four months, that means there's another three or four months before he can even start training, if he can train right away. So that could be, what, six months, seven months? You know, I don't know that that fight has that kind of selling point. And even if Primus lost the title to Henderson or to Pitbull, they could still make the rematch once Chandler gets the title back or before, or Chandler have to beat Primus on the way to challenging for his title again. There's lots of ways they could spin it. It doesn't have to be a title fight. There's a lot of ways they could spin that fight. Yeah, definitely a lot of ways that they could spin that fight. Um, what do you think of uh, who Benson Henderson and I think Patricky? Yeah. Or Patricky or is it which one are they, which one is the fight coming up? Uh, I want to say it's Patricky. Do you think the winner of that fight gets a title shot? I, I would think so, unless 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 Chandler can come back quick. And personally, I don't think Chandler should. Chandler's been in a lot of wars. He needs to make sure he's 100 percent as close to 100 percent as possible because he has this weird habit of losing these these fights he should lose at times for whatever reason, and he can't really afford to be to doing that as far as if he wants to to justify the money he makes and get the fights that he wants to get moving forward as far as moving up and stuff. So he needs to make sure he's 100% ready to go. If uh, Henderson and Patricky come out pretty clean, I'd assume one of them is going to get the title fight next. I, they'd have to, because both of them have history with Chandler. So, I mean, if one of them wins, they have history with Chandler, Primus has history with Chandler, it makes the 155 division a lot more exciting now that Chandler's dropped the title. It just makes it more exciting now, because he'd beaten essentially anybody, everybody. Now we get some interesting matchups that could, that could change the, um, the landscape as far as the 55 division. 
Yeah, they definitely certainly could. Um, another fight that I was supposed to change with the landscape was Aaron Pico, but 24 seconds later, he was choked out. What did you think of this fight there, man? What do you think of Zach Freeman and just this whole blowback? Uh, I hear a lot of people saying he shouldn't have taken the fight. I don't know how many guys were willing to fight. When you're, when you're a prospect like Pico, just like... um. I forgot the guy who was in the UFC, a light heavyweight. He was having a hard time getting fights. And he ended up fighting Daniel Cormier, Patrick Cummins. Patrick Cummins. When you're a high-level prospect with some athleticism and some ability, a lot of people on your level don't want to fight you. You're forced to take fights out of your league earlier because you can't. Because guys coming up don't want to get a loss in the record or take it undue damage in fighting you. And the same thing happened with Pico. A lot of people didn't want to take the fight. Friedman was one of the people who jumped at the opportunity. I thought Pico's overall skills were enough, but the fact of the matter is I didn't give Freeman enough respect for his, his experience. He has almost 10 fights. He's been in tough. He's lost. He's had to come back. He's had to fight out of tough spots, and Pico hadn't been tested on any level. We had no idea what Pico would do when he got hit. We just assumed since he had boxed, he could handle it. We assumed since he'd wrestled at a high level, he was prepared for whatever came. And um, the fact of the matter, he just, he just wasn't. He got caught, and he got finished by a guy who looked a full weight class bigger than him and was light years more experienced than him. So I guess in, in, in hindsight, it, look, it predicted how this fight was going to go. But on the same instance, you had Heather Hardy, who fought a girl who had nine fights and was a veteran of mixed martial arts, and she was able to pull out a win. So it's kind of weird. A lot of people are going to look at the number of fights and say, Pico shouldn't have taken this fight, but Heather Hardy was in her first MMA fight, and her her opponent had nine fights, um, Freeman had 10. So, I mean, how's it okay for her to compete it? Yes, she's a world champion, but Pico's a world champion in wrestling. He's a high-level boxer, so why is it okay for her to compete with that kind of opponent, but it's not okay for him to compete against that kind of opponent? Yeah, it's definitely some, um, it's a hypocrisy there, for sure. Um, do you think that the bandwagon on Pico should leave the station, or should people just kind of reassess and recalculate when it comes to him, he's only 20 years old. I'm not willing to hang the towel on him right yet. Well, the good thing is he did lose to a veteran. He lost a guy who's experienced and, and had some accomplishments in MMA. That actually makes it better because he didn't lose to some 2-0 guy or some 1-0 guy. He lost to a big, strong, durable, tough, experienced, accomplished guy. Like, you know, it's like most. It's like when um, Vasily Lomachenko lost to uh, Orlando, lost to Salido. People were like, oh, he got exposed, but you're like, he got exposed by a guy who's been a former world champion, who's got a lot of experience, who's given every elite fighter he's faced a tough go. So him losing to that guy was a learning experience, and it wasn't something that took away from his luster outside of him having a loss on his record. It's the same thing with Freeman. Freeman's a tough, experienced fighter, and Pico losing to him is no shame because he's beaten nine other fighters. It's not really, it's, it's embarrassing because of the hype that came with Pico. It's not embarrassing giving the caliber a fighter he faced and the caliber of athleticism and durability he had shown in previous fights. So I don't think he loses a lot. In fact, his story becomes more interesting now because we want to see if the prospect, does he go to the, does he try to go for the Olympics and then come back in MMA? Whenever he comes back in MMA, it becomes a bigger story now because they're going to see if the prospect in the hype train is willing to face adversity and come back. We saw what happened to Ronda when she faced some adversity. The minute she faced him, it was over. She's taken a year off. She retired. If Pico comes back, it's a big story. If he comes back after winning an Olympic medal, it's an even bigger story. So I think the story just got bigger, and, and Bellator has bought them 
bought themselves another big pay-per-view or ratings event the next time he fights either way and they yeah have I can definitely... a new star. they have a new star now they definitely did they definitely did and i think that they can kind of leverage both of those men thinking of new stars man we got james gallagher gallagher whatever his name is and heather hardy both have some pretty impressive debuts when you're looking at both of them which one stands out more to you gallagher or hardy i would say i would say I would say Hardy. Gallagher's win was impressive because his wrestling isn't super clean and his striking isn't super clean, but Machida can't Machida isn't like his brother, and his brother's not the greatest grappler either, but his brother's a legitimate grappler. Machida can't grapple. Gallagher's a ja- grappler. The main question was, is Gallagher gonna be able to get in, get his hands on Machida and get him down? Once if he got him down cleanly, no no nobody doubted that he wouldn't be able to finish. It was just a matter of whether he's gonna be able to close, get it on him efficiently, and get him down. Once it got once that happened, we all knew it was going to happen. So that fight wasn't as a shock to me. It was either going to go one or two ways: knockout for Machida, take down, and finish for Gallagher. Heather Hardy is actually more impressive because this is her first MMA fight, and yes, she wasn't facing a girl with a great record, but she was facing a legitimate, experienced, tough, accomplished mixed martial artist. She was facing someone with 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 chin, with with some power, and with some skill. When they, when they fought. It wasn't just a one-sided beating. This wasn't a gimme fight by any means. The, the women's divisions are too shallow to have gimme fights, They're, you know. And she came out there and she performed well. She had to take some punishment. She took some knees to the body. She got pressed up. She took some punches, but she maintained her composure. She kept. She worked at a really high rate. She showed excellent defense, footwork, body punching, combination punching, and she won in a, in a dramatic and dynamic fashion. Like that's a that's and she's a world champion in boxing. She, she, so her story resonates in mainstream sports. It resonates in boxing. I mean, I was looking at boxing sites and they're talking about Heather Hardy. And you look at the MMA sites, they're talking about Heather Hardy. Look on ESPN, they're talking about Heather Hardy because there's not a lot of legitimate stars in women's mixed martial arts. And now you have someone who's truly a legitimate, accomplished, high-level boxer coming in here and, and doing that in their first fight against a very, a very tough opponent. She, her opponent was tougher than, than the people that, even with that record, her opponent was tougher than the people Holly Holm was facing when she was coming up. Holly Holm was getting like beating up on daycare teachers and soccer moms. This girl, this girl came to fight. This girl was taking shots from a world-class boxer, body shots, combinations, and kept coming. She had her in trouble in a couple spots too. She showed good skill, good awareness, good discipline. Heather Hardy showed excellent combat IQ, composure, and, and, and she showed immaculate boxing skill. You haven't seen Holly Holm throw hands that clean. Seen that. I said it before. I said it before. Said it. Said it, I'll say it again. Heather Hardy is the best boxer in women's MMA, and I already know that Holly Holm is a cha- former champion in women's MMA. But you don't need to tell me that because Heather Hardy's a better boxer. You've seen. You've seen Holly's hands. You've seen Heather's hands. All the difference. I know you saw the crispness. Yeah, you know there was definitely some. Difference there. Um, Hardy had some struggles early in the fight, but she was able to turn things around and, and get a very important win, especially when you look at what I believe Bellator intends on using her in the future as a big star for the organization. Yeah, and she and she she actually speaks well of boxing because she's a she's a legitimate current champion, and she speaks well in MMA. She gives MMA its respect. And she's shown she can perform at a decent level in both, but she gives it respect, she gives it acknowledgement. She really could be a breakout star because she's somebody who, who doesn't, she's the one who can speak on both ends. She could talk, she could, she could do a lot for Bellator. 
She could cover fights for boxing. She could cover fights for women's MMA. She could, they could really do a lot with somebody like her. She's got an outgoing personality and she's willing to challenge herself. You know, she, she's willing to go in there and challenge herself. She didn't have to come over and do this. She chose to do this because she wanted to fight. She wanted to be active and she was willing to fight on a small car. She was willing to fight on Invicta. A, a current world champion is willing to fight on a smaller, a smaller organization's card and CM Punk, a guy who's accomplished nothing in any legitimate combat sport, insisted on being in the UFC. Just think about how silly that sounds. Current world champion, fight wherever you can get me a fight. I'll fight Invicta, Bellator, wherever. CM Punk, oh no, I can't take a regional. I can't fight a regional event. I can't fight at a smaller car. I got to be in the UFC. Got to be in the UFC. So that, she's a big star, and I, I think they could do a lot i mean gallagher is huge and he but we already know we already knew what he had to offer we knew he has a fan base nobody could have expected this kind of reaction to hardy nobody could have expected it. yeah i think it'll be interesting yeah, to see what the what bellator does with both these individuals in the near future i think that they have someone that they can leverage and they're both young and that's something that they can uh build into homegrown stars of their own yes very true very true so let's move on to ufc fight night 112 where we saw more foolishness, especially in the main event, where uh, Michael Chiesa was submitted by Kevin Lee, and he didn't tap. Plain and simple, he didn't tap. Mario Yamasaki stopped the fight when it looked as if Chiesa's body kind of relaxed. But this has been the talking point of this fight and of this event since Sunday. So tell me what your thoughts are. Did, did Yamasaki do the right thing, or was he completely out of, out of touch? It's like Yamasaki wants someone to fire him from being a referee, but everybody just won't do it. It's like, it's like the bad kid who does everything they can to get in trouble, and everybody just keeps excusing it because they don't want to ruin the bad kid's future. Like, I, I don't like to rag on refs, and I know it's a hard job, but he just keeps on messing up so badly. And the worst part is, you see fights where guys are getting beat within an inch of their lives where they could have brain damage. He's letting them take, I mean, he's letting them take 62 punch combinations and he ain't stopping fights because somebody's in a rear naked choke. He's stopping it early. Like that's the time you let him go all the way out. Ain't nothing going to happen if he goes out. He'll go out. He'll wake up. No brain damage. No nothing. Seconds later. But you're letting people take 82 punch knee elbow combina kick combinations and you're not stopping fights. But a rear naked choke, you just have you have to jump in early. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. Justine Kish almost had her head twisted off. Nobody stopped it. Holly Holm was swinging in air because she had a, such a, a tight rear naked choke on her. Nobody stopped that fight. But the minute Kisea looks like he goes a little limp, you wait. Like, you're supposed to get, aren't you supposed to give him a warning or check his hands or something? You just, you just, that's it. It's done. He looked done. So he's done. No, let, let, him, let him go limp. Let him not fight. Let it be the way it is. Because... It especially looks bad because of the way Kaseya jumped right up after he let it go. The minute he let it go, he was already up. I mean, that, that was just a really bad look. And, and Yamasaki's just butchering calls left and right, man. It's funny because, you know, me and some of my uh, coworkers as we watched the fight joked about it. Like, if this was um, a WWE match where the ref had to pick the fighter's hand up and drop it, pick the fighter's hand up, drop it, and then let him catch it and kind of get hooked up. Um, Kesa looked, I won't lie, he looked like he was on. He was going out. He, his body looked like it relaxed. 
he stopped hand fighting and he was in a bad spot. So I'm not so much mad about that aspect of the stoppage. Um, but Yamasaki could have done more to make sure it was the right call at the right time. Have you have you heard Kiseya's explanation for it that in the complaint he's filed? Yeah, I, I have heard that. And and I'm not trying to say that I'm not saying he wasn't out. I I don't know. I wasn't there. But his his statement falls in line to what I know of different defenses to escaping the hold. And I'm not once again I'm not a grappling expert, but what he's talking, what he's explaining to people, it makes sense to me. I've had people say. Okay, you get stuck in this position, you can't have fight, then you do this, you relax, you buys you a little bit of time, you can turn, you can slowly turn, and you can get out. Because that person will have been squeezing for how many seconds, and your arms can't maintain that continuously. If you can just hang on a little bit, you can get out of it. So what he's saying on the technical and strategical level makes sense. And all, all Yamasaki had to do was wait another five seconds, and there's no question. Five more seconds. I mean, you've seen him let guys take beatings unnecessary beatings for 10 to 15 seconds longer, but he couldn't let five seconds longer go for a choke. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, just, it's just, it's just a bit. I mean, it's almost, I started thinking of it as a pro wrestling thing where, you know, like it's one of the four horsemen. It's Arn Anderson. Ric Flair has a hold and, and Arn Anderson says he submits the minute he gets it on anywhere near the hold. Oh, he, it's over. It's over. He submitted. That, that's what it looked like to me. And it was just, it was terrible. I mean, I feel bad for him because this is the second time he has had a questionable stoppage when he fought Joe Lizone, got that cut, and they stopped the fight and didn't let that come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. Kevin Lee, now this fight didn't come to a conclusion, and due to the way the the way it looked, he may not get a rematch because it looked like, like you said, it looks like he was just done. Whether he was or he wasn't, it looked like he was done. So people are gonna, and the way Kevin Lee was selling after the fight, no, nobody's gonna think that Kaseya was was in that fight. So he's, he's essentially got to take two steps back because of this. And it all could have been avoided if you just let him get choked the F out. And then we go from there and then he can't say anything. And I, I agree with Tyrone Woodley. He shouldn't let that let himself get in that position. But you can't always control that. Just like Tyrone Woodley shouldn't let Rory, Mar Rory McDonald front kick and jab him up against the cage and then take him down. He shouldn't let that happen either. But it happened. You're facing a, a world-class competitor. It's going to happen. So that, that cop-out excuse isn't any good either. I didn't, I didn't really like his, his tone on the, the way he approached it either. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Who do you put Kevin Lee in there with next? He says he wants Khabib. I don't want to see that fight. Uh, not yet, at least. I mean, Khabib. I mean, I guess you could try Khabib. Maybe Tony Ferguson, I suppose. I, I don't really know what you do with them because this fight wasn't really conclusive. And I don't really know who's available. Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez are still taken right now. I mean, who's out there who's available? I don't think Khabib wants to fight Kevin Lee over Tony Ferguson. That doesn't even make any sense. So who's, who's out there? Maybe maybe Edson Barboza, maybe? Yeah, man, you got to kind of look around. I think that they need to borrow a tactic from Bellator and try to find some, uh, some new talent to kind of bring in because this division is going to need help at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to give Kevin Lee some credit. He he did an excellent job selling himself, kind of starting the beef with Tony Ferguson, calling people out, saying saying he'd give Kaseya a rematch. He, he he played the heel. He he did what smart guys do when you're not popular with fans. You have a choice to try to pander to the fans or play the heel. He went full heel. I mean, he went full heel, and I, and I admire his awareness and intelligence in doing it. But I just don't know who they have for him to fight right now. I, I think Edson Barboza, Barboza might have a fight lined up too. So I, 
I, I don't really know what you do with him. He's just got to sit back and wait and see what see what pans out. I mean, this is a good win, win in quotations, but I mean, Kisaya wasn't ranked really high. So do you really go from him to Khabib Nurmagomedov or Tony or Tony Ferguson? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that there. There were some other um, bouts that kind of caught us out. You know, we talked about Fleet Eric and Justin Keach. Um, Johnny Hendrick getting stopped by Tim Boach didn't surprise me one bit. Um, it didn't totally shock me. I thought it'd be more competitive because I felt I know Lombard isn't a big isn't a big middleweight, but Lombard is more explosive, a little bit quicker fisted and footed and dynamic than Boach. I figured that the Hendricks I saw versus Lombard would be able to move around and kind of set a pace and a volume and get some work done and maybe get some transitional takedowns and, and maybe maybe just out hustle Boach in spots. Um, I talked to Marcus Davis about it. He he seemed pretty sure he he didn't really think it was going to go past one round. So he, he was pretty sure it was going to be a stoppage. And even though he didn't tell me a specific game plan, I already knew it. A lot of it had to do with Boach establishing that teep or that front kick that keeps that keeps um, Johnny away from the range to land his land his right hand or his left his left hook or his big left hand. It keeps him out of the range. He's comfortable to get his offense going. He needs to get into a certain range to get going, and then he can move from range to range and be fairly effective. So once he kept disrupting him, hitting him to the body, keeping him on the outside, he was able to dictate the pace of the fight, use his length and his size as an advantage by pot shotting Johnny at range and then chopping him away, chopping away at the legs and then eventually going up top. I mean, essentially, if you can control the range, so you can control, maintain and extend the range, the fight in my eyes is more or less done. Johnny's not going to, that's one of the disadvantages of being a welterweight moving up. He can't stay on the outside. At welterweight, he had a hard time staying at the outside. But at middleweight, he just can't do it. Too many guys are too big. They can take his shots a little bit better because he landed that left hand a, a few times. And he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't put Tim on skates. So he's going to have to be able to work on transitioning from ranges to get in on guys to make his, his athletic advantage to bring it to bear. He can't be stuck on the outside like that against guys that big who are durable and can crack a little bit. And that's what happened. He got stuck on the outside and just got chopped up. Um, the weight loss thing, the weight, the weight thing is a little disappointing. I know he, he said he was sick, but that, that wasn't, that wasn't a good look for his, uh, that wasn't a good look for him at all. That, that was kind of a bad look right there. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, to see him get stopped like that. But congratulations well, to Marcus. Pretty sick. Um, and congratulations to Tim as well. Yeah, definitely for sure. And then we also had BJ Penn looking like a shell of himself out there. Uh, I'm hoping that he's done. I'm hoping that that's it. Uh, what are your thoughts? It looked like he thinks he got robbed <laughs> after the fight. He looked angry like he thought he won it. And even though he looked like a shell of himself, I have to admit, fighting an older guy, he did look better than he did against Yair. He made it through the whole three rounds and he actually had some moments of success. He just doesn't, he doesn't have enough explosiveness to get those takedowns. If he could have got a takedown early, he could have finished Seaver. If he, if he had more of a diverse game, that jab and that right hand he was landing would have been more effective. But BJ has kind of not, he's kind of like Faber in the instance that he hasn't diversified his game or his weapons. But unlike Uriah Faber, he still doesn't have his athleticism. Faber kept most of his athleticism to the point where only the, the elite guys were able to beat him. He was still able to 
you know, pot shot and takedown and, and transition with all the guys who were under elite. Um, BJ just can't do it. And he fought a guy who was in his age range and who had lost to Steph himself. And he looked competitive. He had a moment when he dropped him. I really thought he had a chance to win it. But I've never seen BJ drop somebody and get on top of them and then just lay there. I was like, so he, he dropped him. He has a fight where he wants on the ground and he's still not finishing? Like, that was supposed to be his safety zone. That's what, BJ, if BJ can't do anything else, he can submit fools. And he couldn't do anything. He just laid there. He, he had nothing for him. So I hope he retires, but his reaction seemed to give the image that he thinks he won the fight. And he thinks he was robbed. And I, and it was clear that he wasn't. He just, he doesn't have, he hasn't, he hasn't grown with the sport. And he's no longer a good enough athlete to, to mask that anymore. So... When we look at the way he lost, both men, you know, I think that there's really not too much left for them in the UFC at this point in time. Who, Hendricks too? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't like this. Uh, I said this on Twitter, and I might have said this on the show. When they, when Hendricks won his fight, I wanted to see Hendricks fight Dan Kelly. I still think Hendricks versus Dan Kelly is a better matchup for him. I didn't like Tim Boach versus Johnny Hendricks. The minute the fight was made, I was like, I don't like this fight. I don't like it. I didn't want to talk about it because I know both guys, but I did not think it was a favorable matchup for Johnny, Johnny Hendricks. I thought there were things he could do to be effective, but he'd have to be completely on his game, completely focused and super sharp. It just was, it was a really bad matchup for him. Boach is a heavy hitter. Boach is good in the clinch, and Boach knows how to... When he's fighting smart and disciplined, he's light on his feet, and he's masterful at controlling range and beating guys up at range. It was a bad matchup. I think there's fights he can win at middleweight. I still believe there's fights he can win at middleweight. I don't know that he's world-class at middleweight anymore. That's yeah, the question. Yeah. So if he's competing to be world-class, I might have to agree with you because I don't know that he beats the top, even though middleweight's not very deep itself. I don't know that he beats the top middleweights. But um, there's fights he can win there. As far as BJ, I don't know that there's... He can't beat guys up his age. He can't beat guys younger than us. What else is there for him? I said it last week. If he can't beat Seaver at this point, who hasn't been active at all, who's he beating? What's he doing? I mean, that's a guy his age. Yeah, definitely. I can um, agree with that. Like, really, what is he doing at this point in time? Um, there's another two people I want to talk about. Carla Esparza and Clay Guida. I am definitely like the way Clay Guida looked in his win on... Um, Sunday, I you know was concerned about Quita because he's another guy who's getting up there in age and doesn't look like he used to. But he came out there and he did the thing. He did the damn thing. So what what were your thoughts on him? I was really shocked by Eric Cope. I that dude has fallen off really fast. He used to be like considered a new a, a young gun, a potential world title challenger. And I mean, Guida essentially dominated him. He couldn't get anything going, not really on the feet. In the wrestling, he got dominated on the ground. He just got beat up. I mean, Guida, Guida looks good against a guy who has athleticism, who has size and has some legitimate skills. And, and, and Clay, Guida, Clay, Clay Guida rolled him. I don't know what they're doing to him and, and Team Alpha Male. But they need to keep it up because he, he, he hadn't looked that good in years. And people thought that Coke was going to come in and basically beat him up on the feet, defend his takedowns, and outwork him. And that did not happen. Clay Kawita isn't usually that kind of a takedown artist. He, 
he he has a lot of attempts and he wears you down and eventually gets you down and then he kind of works you over but he looked devastated he looked sharp he looked fast he looked tough he, he looked like a clearly better fighter and i wouldn't have said i wouldn't have bet on clay clay guida to beat eric coach and or to beat in that in that fashion that dominantly i, I didn't see that coming at all yeah i definitely didn't see that coming as well um i mean there's a lot of fights for him he could rematch gray Maynard at this point based on how they looked in the last fight he could be gray Maynard. he could fight ryan hall that'd be a nice step up for ryan hall because clay guida is not afraid to to grapple on the ground and exchange and scramble with anybody he won't avoid it mm-hmm. ryan hall would have to fight there, there's fights at, at 45 for him to have to work his way back up he could fight alex caceres if he wants to really establish himself, he's going to have to fight some lower-level guys to prove that he's better than them and then go back up into the elite if he could make it. But there's fights he could win, and there's good fights for him in the division, I believe. Yeah, there's definitely some um, fights there. What about Carla Esparza? Uh, she looked good doing Carla Esparza things. You know, this was a fight with her. Um, what's the word I could look for? Her kind of like her signature all over it. Take down, lay in the guard, do a little bit of work. Take down, lay in the guard, do a little bit of work. Uh, what do you think is next for her? I don't think she'll ever be champion again, but she's not going to fade away in this division at any time. Well, once again, her stuff. She's a very smart. She's, she's like Ricardo Lamez, except Ricardo Lamez can do a bunch of things well, and Carla Esparza can only do one thing well. But both of them depend on you making, if you fight dumb, that's how they beat you. But, Carl, but Ricardo Lamas, he's good enough on the feet that he can take advantage there. He's good enough on the ground that he can submit you. He's good enough on wrestling he can control you. Carlos Sparza's whole game is to create instances where she can get her hands on you and work you down. And if she can't get you down, she uses the takedown attempts to break your rhythm on the feet or to wear you down. And for some reason, girls who fight her refuse to attack her body. Moroz could have beaten her. All you need to do is throw a jab, be able to faint, and punish her to the body. Esparza doesn't like getting hit, but a lot of girl, a lot of people can't put combinations together on her because she gets underneath them because she's already short. She gets underneath them and drags you to the ground. You know how you get around that? You attack her body. Your hands are already in position for the sprawl to get the underhooks to pull her back up. Then you got her in the clinch and you beat her on the body again. Eventually, you're going to wear her down and make her hesitant. And once she's hesitant to come in and commit fully to those takedowns, she's no good because she's not that good a wrestler. I'm not saying this. I'm talking about people who in the MMA circles and wrestling circles who told me, technically speaking, she is not that good a wrestler, and, a- and athletically speaking, she is not that good a wrestler. She's not even that good a fighter. She's gotten by with self-belief, being in good condition, and being professional, and being opportunistic in how she attacks. She really can't do a lot of things very well, and all her fights are based off of people fighting extremely, extremely stupid. Nama Yunus didn't work on wrestling. Trevor Whitman said he took full blame. He goes, I don't know why we did that. Uh, Lima fought her. Lima refused to use front kicks to the body. She was, they were working. She had her range. She was beating her up, and then she just stopped doing it. And Moroz kept throwing these combinations and, and, and overextending and overpursuing and getting taken down and then trying to grapple from a bottom position with Carla Esparza, which is just not going to work because she doesn't make mistakes when she gets in her key areas. But she's not a top-end athlete. She has no real striking. She keeps saying her striking is getting better. It's not. She has no real striking. She doesn't like getting hit. She can't take getting hit. And she's not a really good athlete. So basically, she's going to knock off a bunch of girls with low IQ, low fight IQs who fight really wide open and sloppy. And against all the better girls who have any sort of discipline or a certain level of athleticism, she's going to get beat up. 
She can't beat Joanna. She doesn't. She ran from Claudia. Claudia asked to fight her. She wouldn't do it. She's like, well, I don't need a top ten fight right away. Well, if you're broke, why don't you take whatever you can get? So you're not that hungry. Yeah, definitely. You're not that hungry. So she'll be able to stick around because she's smart, because she's a veteran, she's savvy, and she has a style that ages well. But she's not going to be able to compete because she doesn't have the athleticism or the durability or the willingness to engage. She she can't beat the best. She can beat a lot of the girls who aren't as disciplined, aren't as gifted, or, or don't have experience. But the very best girls, she fights Joanna again. She ends up in a body bag. She fights Claudia. She gets beat. I... I I don't know what she can't beat Rose at this age. Rose might kill her. I, I'm not even sure that she beats Michelle Waterson at this age. I think Michelle Waterson finishes her. Jessica Andrade stomps her. I mean, uh, she'll hang. She can hang around. She can hang around this division or flyweight, and she'll always be in the mix. But I don't think she'll ever be. I think you're right. She she won't ever be champion again. I, I just don't. I don't see how. I think she had her time, and her time was unfortunately before she got into the UFC. So I think she already peaked as far as her UFC career. And what's interesting about that is like this division, this division is kind of getting stacked. There are a number of women there. You know, we just talked about a former champion not being able to defeat at least five women in the group. Yeah, make it six because Randa Marcus stomped her out too. So I guess there's six people she can't, and she won't fight Felice Herrick because they're friends. So it's true. Just make that set, make that seven people she can't beat. Definitely, definitely true. Essentially, the top ten she can't beat is, is is the way it's looking. If you if you look at it objectively, essentially from the top seven to ten she can't beat them because she's not a good enough athlete, not a good fighter, or she knows them and doesn't want to fight a friend. Mm-hmm. So what does that leave for her? Just to hang around the the fringe of the top ten? Because I mean, I mean, I mean, she always talks about being broke. She needs she needs to find some matchup. Yeah, she talked about moving up to flyweight, and I'm like. You can't even manhandle straw weights. You know, what are you going to do with these girls who, who are able to come in at a healthy weight and be full of energy? Are you nuts? I, I don't think she could beat Cynthia Calvia either. So that makes that eight. I, I can come up with more people who can beat her than I can come up with people who can't. That's the prob- <laughs> problem as a former champion. That's not a good sign. Definitely there. That's definitely, um, definitely a point there. What are you working on for this week, man? Let's let's talk about what we got coming for um, um I'm actually I did a I just finished writing a article for uh the tough finale next week. It's gonna be uh it, it kind of it's kind of a I've been trying trying a new spin on the breakdown. I've been kind of doing it. I did a series with uh did a thing with Holly Holm and Betch Cahea a couple weeks ago, and it was like the guy uh, Betch Cahea versus Holly Holm for dummies, and it kind of educated you on some of the historical habits and facts and how the fight happened and why the fight happening and, and what you could look for in the fight. It kind of breaks it down to a level for people who don't always know, who don't have a history in combat sports. They don't know certain things. So I'm doing the same thing with Anthony Pettis and Jim Miller. I'm kind of breaking down what it means to be a journeyman fighter, what it means to be a, a transcendent talent in the sport and looking at key issues that, that often get overlooked when people start going on losing streaks or winning streaks. And trying to give people just not just the technical sense, but a look, a look at the physical aspect, look at the coaching, look at the matchmaking, look at what it means before and after, look at historically how we got to this point, where this guy's ceiling is, where this guy's floor is, trying to give them a, a full picture. And you don't have to be a hardcore MMA fan to get what I'm saying. I'm breaking it down for people who just are casuals and just 
you know, wouldn't have information. So when there's a conversation, when the fight's going on, they're not totally lost. So I'm kind of taking a different perspective on it, but that's, that's the main piece I'm doing. And then I'll have another one coming out for the uh, Ducote uh, v. Letourneau fight that's going to be in Bellator, the de facto uh, other half of the title challenge for the, for the flyweight title in, in um, Bellator. Yeah, I'm working on, uh, I want to do a piece about MMA legends and like how that tour needs to kind of end before it ends badly and we all see it happen first, um, firsthand. And I am also thinking about working on a piece uh, covering Tanya Evinger and her uh, entry into the UFC. I will look forward to that. That'd be interesting. She's a. I didn't know she lived. In, I didn't know she trained in Houston. I did not know that. That was news to me. I'm like, she's four hours away from me. Yeah, that's definitely some interesting stuff. I think. I think it's gonna be crazy to see her um, joining UFC and how that kind of works out for her. And, and just for the fans out there, even though I have sparred and trained with fighters, I'm not dumb. You might notice a little bit more restraints in my assessment of Tanya Evinger from this point on. <laughs> Because it's only four hours. I can't take those kind of chances, man. No, I, don't care that she, I don't care that she's a world-class fighter. I can't get beat up by a girl on YouTube. It's just not worth it. Nope, I, I would kids. definitely, best believe I would share that all over the place. I got kids. I would just run away and say, I'm too much of a gentleman. That's, that's going to be my excuse. I'm not going to fight you. I'm a gentleman. I'm letting you win this, Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be my route. Because it is even worse to even try and then get taken down and beat up. Oh, no. I can't. The Black Jordan Green cannot recover. The brand cannot recover from that. So I'm going to watch what I say. Speaking of sharing, yo, definitely everybody, we appreciate you listening to our show. Please take the time to share across your social media channels. Check us out um, on, on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Give us a listen there. Like the YouTube video as well. Share that across your social media channels and check us out on um, MMARatings.net also on Instagram and Twitter in the same place. Yeah, and people, you know, we would love to have some of y'all subscribe. We're just cranking out consistent shows for you. We're going to have some more guests on and we we want y'all to be engaged. People who listen live, you got show, you got questions you want to ask either before the show or or during the show, feel free to ask us. We're here for you guys. So we want to talk about the things you want to talk about. We want to increase your knowledge and understanding of the fight game and the fighters involved in it. So, you know, you tell us who you want us to see if we can get on the show. You tell us what kind of subjects or questions you have that you want to answer on the show. And we're going to take care of that for you. We're very interactive and we're very appreciative of everything y'all do for us. And we're just trying to give y'all the best show possible, but we can't do that without your feedback. So please comment and uh, like us and subscribe. Definitely. And uh, thank you for listening to us tonight. Um, we appreciate your time and we will be back next week for another edition of the MMA Radio Podcast. All right. Good night, guys. Have a great one.